All right, if you have not been here before, if you haven't been here ever, or if you haven't been here in a while, if you haven't tuned in in a while, I want to let you know what we're doing. Uh, We are in the middle of a series, actually getting closer to the end of a series. We're almost three quarters of the way through the book of Acts. Um, And uh, we are in, in in the midst of a series on the book of Acts called Unleashed. And uh, this series is all about how God unleashed his church, how he unleashed his Holy Spirit, how he unleashed his people to go into the world and make a difference for Jesus Christ, to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the word gospel is a word uh, that uh, means good news. And so our job as followers of Jesus is to go out into the world and tell people the good news about Jesus. And the good news is, is that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven. He took our punishment when he took our place. We deserve death. He took death for, for us. And then now uh, he rose again on the third day, just like he predicted he would. He came back to life. And sure enough, he has given us a commission to go out and change the world for his name. And that's what we do. As, as here at GFCC, our purpose, our mission is helping people follow Jesus. We want to help people uh, either get to know Jesus for the first time or grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we do that in, in various ways. We do that through worship. We do that through study in our connection groups. We do that through service uh, and volunteering, volunteering in our children's ministry to help kill, kids follow Jesus. Uh, to We volunteer at our ministry center. We have a ministry center down on Colfax. Tomorrow is one of our distribution days at the ministry center. And if you've never volunteered at the ministry center before, talk to my wife. She would love to talk to you about volunteering at the ministry. She is shaking her head up and down as we speak. She would love for you to volunteer at the ministry center uh, sometime soon. Um, They do a great work out there. They uh, average between 80 and 120 boxes of food every time they open the door uh, to give out. So I think, what was it? 4,000 pounds of food last weekend, Jan, something like that. More than 4,000 pounds of food last weekend uh, to people in need. So if you want to get involved with the ministry center, you want to volunteer in that way, talk to the pretty lady in the back. Um, Or uh, call the church office this week, and they'll put you in touch with the pretty lady in the back. Um, So... uh, That's what we do, though. That's what we as Christians do. We go out and we share the good news about Jesus, and we do that in a variety of ways, through preaching, through teaching, through study, uh, through service and volunteering and showing people God's love. That's what we do as Christians, and that's what we see the early church doing uh, in the book of Acts. They went out and they shared the gospel with people in a variety of ways so that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. They put their faith and trust in Jesus And then uh, Jesus changes everything. And he did that for the Apostle Paul. And he's been the main character the last several weeks. uh, And we'll talk more about him tonight. So if you have a Bible, if you brought a Bible, grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20 is where we are tonight. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one on your phone or your tablet, such as YouVersion or Bible Gateway. Those are two great Bible apps you can use. Or you can use the GFCC app. We have our own app. Uh, And you go to your app store and search for GFCC. And you can find the GFCC app there. You can download it to your phone. You can take, uh, keep sermon notes as well as you can give your tithes and offerings through the app as well as you can get notifications about all the cool things going on around here when you create an account. So go to your app store and download the GFCC app. We're in Acts chapter 20. And so last week we ended in the city of Ephesus. Paul, the apostle Paul, who was once an enemy of Jesus, became his biggest cheerleader uh, in history uh, and uh, his greatest missionary in history. And Paul uh, 
was in the city of Ephesus for about two and a half years. Two and a half years in the city of Ephesus. If you remember last week, we saw that Ephesus was an ancient city, very important city. It was also the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. Artemis was a goddess of fertility. She was the goddess protector of the city of Ephesus. She was also known as Diana in Roman mythology. Um, so the, the temple of Artemis was located in Ephesus. They worshiped this goddess. But when Paul went there and he started convincing people that Jesus was the Messiah and that God is the one true God, people turned away from Artemis worship and started worshiping Jesus instead. And so the silversmiths of Ephesus were angry. They were angry at Paul because he was convincing people to stop worshiping Artemis, which means they would stop buying these little, little silver idols of Artemis to worship. And all of a sudden now, they're going to riot and they started a riot in the city of Ephesus in the amphitheater there, the outdoor amphitheater, that sat 24,500 people. And this packed amphitheater is full of angry people at Paul. Now, Paul was kept from going into that amphitheater, uh, but there were some other Christians who were grabbed and thrown in the amphitheater, and they were ready, they were hungry for blood. But the city clerk managed to talk them down and disperse the crowd. And so we pick up uh, in Acts chapter 20, uh, after that, the, the, the riot of Ephesus. Paul leaves Ephesus and travels throughout the Mediterranean, strengthening the churches that he had planted and planting new churches. And finally, he ends up back in the city of Troas. Uh, Troas was a city in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was known as Asia Minor then. Uh, it was a port city. Uh, it was uh, about uh, 50 miles southwest of uh, uh, Ephesus. And that's where Paul ends up. And there he preaches perhaps the longest, most boring sermon ever preached. Now, you may wonder, why did I say that? Well, let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, hold on, wait, run there. Just, just one second right there. You may wonder, why do we do communion every week here at GFCC? Well, this is one of the reasons. Because in the early church, they got together every week. On the first day of the week, they got together to break bread. And breaking bread is a euphemism for the Lord's Supper or a euphemism for communion, what we call communion. And so just like the early church got together weekly to break bread, that's what we do. We get together every week to break bread. They did it on the first day of the week to remember the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, not to be confused with the Sabbath. That was the seventh day of the week. This is the first day of the week. This was Sunday. And so they got together on Sunday uh, to break bread. And, and it was part of a fellowship meal. They would get the church together. They would have a meal together. And, and then they would, uh, part of that meal would be the Lord's Supper. It says, Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Now, when we look at the book of Acts here in the 21st century, we want to learn first century principles for how to do church, first century principles of church leadership, first century principles of how to be Christians. And, I, and I'm going to take this to heart. So here in verse seven, we see that Paul talked till midnight. It's six o'clock now. And I hope you're, I hope you're comfortable because we're going to, no, you don't want to do that. You want, you want me to hear me talk for the next six hours? It's actually longer than that, by the way. Uh, so in Acts chapter 20, verse seven, we see that Paul begins a sermon and he speaks from the evening meal all the way till midnight. And then something crazy happens. Look at verse nine. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus 
who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Anybody feeling Eutychus tonight? When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. What kind of sermon is Paul preaching that he puts a man to sleep in a third story window and he falls out and dies? This is the strangest church service you've ever heard of in your entire life. Paul goes on and on and on and on and on. And Eutychus falls out of a window. I mean, that woke everybody up, right? It's like, where'd Eutychus go? Thump. What? They all run downstairs. They grab. Well, this is what happens. Verse 10. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. He's only mostly dead. Princess Bride reference, yes. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight... He left. So not only did Paul talk till midnight and put someone to sleep who died, uh, they, he raised him from the dead so he could keep speaking until daylight for another six, seven hours. So Paul had a lot to say, apparently, in the city of Troas that night. Um, and so uh, Paul leaves the next day and, uh, again, travels throughout the Mediterranean. He ends up back in Ephesus. And when he gets to Ephesus, he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church. And what he's going to do is he's going to say goodbye to these guys. Uh, the elders of the church there at Ephesus. Now remember, uh, the church at Ephesus is where Paul spent like two and a half years. He planted the church. He got the church started. He preached and he taught there for two and a half years. So he has a really good relationship with the elders at Ephesus. He has a close relationship with these men. Um, in verse uh, 21, Paul reminds them of everything that he's done and everything he said. He says this in verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God of repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. You know, when I think about my own ministry and everything I've tried to accomplish in 23 and a half years of doing this, you know, that's one of my goals right there is to proclaim Jesus and that people need to put their faith and trust in him. You know, I've, I've said before, my, I'm not one of those kind of preachers who like, you know, bang on a table or bang on a pulpit and scream at everybody and yell at them and tell them they're all going to hell. That's not my style. That's just not how God wired me. My job isn't to tell you that you're going to hell. My job is to tell you how to get to heaven. And that's what I want to do. And I believe that if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to believe in him. You need to believe that he is the son of God and that he died for your sins. You need to repent. Like Paul said, you need to repent from your sins. That means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. You turn away from sin and you turn to God for forgiveness. Uh, you need to acknowledge your faith. You need to confess Jesus publicly as Savior and Lord. And you need to be baptized by, the, uh, by immersion for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only way to be saved, and he wants to save you. Whether you're watching online, whether you're here in this building, whether you're watching on demand, wherever you are, in the sound of my voice, I just want you to know that Jesus wants to save you. He wants to spend forever with you. I was telling somebody today that, that uh, you know, I know that God loves you, and you know that God loves you, but I'm here to tell you that God likes you. And the reason I know that God likes you is because he wants to spend forever with you. And let's face it, we'll spend time with people that we have to love, but we don't spend time with people we don't like. I mean, that's the difference between like and love. It's like if you like somebody, you want to be with them. You want to spend time with them. And because God wants to spend forever with every single one of us, it means that he not only loves us, but that he likes us too. And so there is something, and, and you may want to just look at your spouse for a second right now and go, see, 
there is something about me to like. And because there is, there's something about you to like, that God likes you and he wants to spend forever with you. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will spend forever with him. I believe that. I believe that's what Paul taught. Let's keep going, verses 22 through 24. Now again, this is Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. He says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so Paul is, is pouring his heart out to the Ephesian elders, these men that he had great affection for, these men that he really cared for, and just telling him, guys, I don't know what's going to happen to me. All I know is that the Holy Spirit is telling me that it's not going to be good. And then he tells them that they're never going to see him again, that he is going to leave and they're never going to see his face again. How sad and, and heartbreaking that must have been for these men to hear Paul say, you're never going to see me again. I mean, could you imagine if I got up to preach some someday and I told you, guys, I, the Holy Spirit's telling me that my time here is done and, and now it's, it's time for me to go and you're never going to see me again. And some of you would be like, I'll buy your plane ticket. Um, others of you would be very sad. Um, I would be very sad. And that's, the, that's kind of the, the mood, that's kind of the tone of Acts chapter 20, is that you've got Paul, this preacher and a missionary and apostle who loved these elders and these elders loved him. And we'll see more about that in just a second. And he is saying goodbye and they're never going to see him again. And so he wants to give them everything they need to know about what kind of leadership they need to have in the church. Uh, look at verse uh, 28. He says this, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, I want to teach you a couple Greek words real quick. Um, the, uh, in that phrase, in that verse, verse 28, uh, there are two words used to describe what an elder does. Overseer and shepherd. The first word is the word episkopos. Uh, it may look familiar. It's where, from where we get the word episcopal, uh, like the Episcopal church. Uh, but the word episkopos is a word that used, is used to describe an elder, and it's the, a word that means overseer. So it means the, the elders are the overseers of the church. They are, they are in charge. They are in charge. Now, that's a scary thing to be. Uh, when you're an elder of the church and you're an overseer of the church, it's kind of a scary job because uh, God holds our elders accountable doubly for what they do in his church. What did, what did Paul say? This is the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And nobody better mess up Christ's bride. Jesus loves his church, and the elders who are the overseers over it are held accountable for how they lead in God's church. The second word is the word poimain, and this is a word that means shepherd. And so shepherd, uh, elders, are not only are they overseers, but they are also shepherds, meaning that they need to protect the flock. They need to spend time with the flock. Uh, there's a great leadership book uh, called They Smell Like Sheep. 
because uh, that's what shepherds do. Shepherds smell like sheep. They need to be not only overseeing the church, but they need to be within the church. They need to be a part of the church, not just overseeing it, but they need to be with the sheep. They need to be shepherding the sheep. They need to care for, nourish, feed, nurture, and uh, protect the sheep of the flock of God in his church. Now, what's interesting to me is these same two words are used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And Peter talks about Jesus when he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, get this. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the same words are used there about Jesus, poimen and episkopos. He is the shepherd and overseer of the church, and he has put human men in charge as elders over the church to be shepherds and overseers. And so men who are elders need to look like Jesus in the way that they lead and care for his bride, shepherds and overseers. They are to look more like Jesus and less like CEOs. They're to look like Jesus in the way that they lead in his church. Well, let's keep going. Verses 29 through 31. So Paul's saying farewell. And this is what he warns them. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So he's warning them. There's going to be outside influences. They're going to come in and they're going to try and tear the flock apart. He says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And so be on your guard. And so Paul is warning them that even some of their own numbers, some of their own elders would rise up and try and split the church, divide the church, and to take people away to follow them instead of following after Jesus. So be on your guard. Elders not only need to be shepherds, they not only need to be overseers, but they also need to be aware. They need to be on their guard against outside influences that would seek to destroy and divide the church. Verses 34 and 35, we're almost at the end here. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that Je the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul worked as a tent maker when he was in Ephesus. He made tents in order to provide for his own needs uh, instead of relying on other people. But he used the blessings that he received from making tents to help other people. And as a church, that's one of the things that we do. We need to, excuse me, help people who are in need because it is more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. Okay, so as a church, we are generous and we try to be as generous as we can. I tell you right now, as a church, we try very hard to be generous because that's what Jesus said to do. So that's what we do. And so we get to the very end here. And Paul says goodbye. Verses 36 through 38. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they're brokenhearted. They're brokenhearted over their friend leaving. And that they would not see him again this side of heaven. They would see him in heaven, but not this side of heaven. That is love and affection for a leader, uh, for a shepherd, for a missionary, for a fellow Christian. 
Now, what I want to share with you for the next few minutes is some encouraging uh, information about elders. I believe this chapter here teaches us several things about elders. And, and as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, um, and, and as someone who is a part of this church, and whether it's your first time here and you're thinking about, well, maybe do, we do want to make this our church home, or whether you've been here for 20 years, or whether you're tuning online, you've been here for 40 years, whatever it is. If you call GFCC home, or if you're thinking about calling GFCC home, um, we are an elder-run church. And so there are three things that you got to do when it comes to supporting your elders. And our elders are human men. They are humans. They have families. Uh, they, have, uh, they have their own health issues. They have their own financial issues. They have their own work issues. They have their own family issues. They are humans just like the rest of us. But they have been called by God to lead in his church. And so because of that, there's three things you need to do for your elders. The first thing is this. You need to trust your elders. You need to trust your elders. God has put them in charge of GFCC at this moment, and, and you need to trust them and support them in the decisions that they make. Are they going to make uh, great decisions? Absolutely, they do. They make great decisions. Are they going to make some questions, uh, some decisions that make you go, huh, I really don't know that I would have done it that way? It, you need to trust your elders, that they are praying about the decisions that they make, that they are seeking God's face in scripture and in prayer, and you need to trust your elders. And, and again, there will be decisions that are made that you don't, don't agree with. There may be decisions that I make that you won't agree with. There may be decisions they make that I don't agree with, but the sheep don't lead the flock. The shepherds lead the flock. And so we need to trust our elders. And again, we have great elders Donnie and, and Ron and Tony. And right now, these guys are in elder school. By the way, there's no elder school. There's no class in elder school about how to handle a pandemic. We are like, we're like, like everybody else. We're just trying to uh, get through this thing together and hold everything together. And those guys are doing the best they can to hold this together. And, and one of our elders is in the hospital with COVID. And so keep praying for Tony but also pray for Donnie and Ron. They need your prayers and they need your support and they need your trust. So trust your elders. Trust them to make the best decisions that they can as a group to lead our congregation. Because again, there is no class in pandemic leading at elder school or in seminary, by the way. This is something that they did not prepare us for in Bible college or seminary. Um, but we're doing the best we can being led by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Secondly, pray for your elders. Trust your elders. Pray for your elders. They need your prayers. They need you to pray for their families. They need you to pray for their jobs. They need you to pray for their leadership. They need you to pray uh, for their spiritual lives, for their spiritual well-beings. They need you to pray for their marriages. Because I got news for you. One of the enemy's greatest tactics is to attack the families of the church, especially families of elders and church leaders. So pray for your elders. Pray for them often. Pray for them daily. Pray for them regularly. Pray for those men who have answered the call and have stepped up to lead in the church. Pray that God would give them wisdom. Pray that God would give them perseverance. Pray that God would give them courage. Pray that God would give them strength. That God would uh, bless their marriages and bless their children and bless their grandchildren and bless their families. Pray for your elders. So trust your elders. Pray for your elders. And the third thing you can do is pray for new elders. 
Not that we're trying to get rid of these guys, but we need more men to step up into the, and, and grasp onto the mantle of leadership. We need more men to stand up and say, yes, I will be an elder. God is calling me through the Holy Spirit to be an elder. And so pray for new elders. Pray for men to answer that call. Pray for God to stir within their hearts, the Holy Spirit to stir within their hearts, to step up and say, here am I, send me. I will go and I will lead. And I will be a shepherd. I will be an overseer. I will do the hard work. I will be a spiritual support for GFCC. I will uh, take that mantle of leadership and I will run with it. I will help lead the flock. I will help shepherd the church. I will oversee the church. We need to pray for new elders. We need to pray for our current elders. We need to pray for new elders. That more men would step up into the role of leadership and become part of the elder team to lead well, even especially in these hard times, especially in these uncertain times, in these unsettled times. We need men to step up and be elders. So please, from the bottom of my heart, I ask you, trust your elders, pray for your elders, and pray for new elders to step up and to lead well here at GFCC. It's not an easy job to be an elder. One of the things you have to deal with is this guy. And that's not always easy. Ask my wife, ask my child, they'll tell you. I am not the peach that you think I am. I'm not terrible. Well, maybe a little bit. Being an elder is a difficult job, and we need our elders uh, to be supported and prayed for. So please, I ask you tonight, trust your elders, pray for your elders, and pray for those elders-to-be, the ones that God has picked out, who he knows can lead well in this next season of GFCC. And I appreciate and covet your prayers for these men, and ask that you would continue to pray for us all as we go forward into a new year.